Hello, listeners. Welcome into Chelsea Miked Up. Look, it wasn't pretty, but it was three points won against Norwich. We'll get into everything that happened in that match, where things stand presently, and we'll discuss Cass's decision. Chelsea now, I guess, one and one on the year in the Court of Arbitration of Sport. We'll get into that, and we'll interview a new Chelsea fan, Mike Golick Jr. Many of you in our audience have discovered Premier League soccer because of the pandemic and the lack of American sports. Well, Mike Golick Jr. is now a true blue. He's seen seven games and got sent to free jersey. We've locked him up, and we'll chat with him about his American Chelsea fandom. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up. Let's go. All right, three points in the bag. We'll talk all about it. Here on Chelsea Mic'd Up, we're about opening doors, not closing them. So I'm very happy to announce that Mike Golick Jr., a brand new Chelsea fan who just started falling in love with the club during this whole pandemic, looking for a new sport, he'll be joining us. And we'll take it to a base level that I think many new listeners in our audience can sort of get excited about because we've seen the numbers. Many of you have been interested because of what Christian Pulisic is doing on that soccer field right now. Man, it really hurt me saying soccer field, Chris Whittingham, <laughs> but I'm not going to be snobby because we're not closing doors. We are opening them, and we'll talk about what he continues to do on that field right now. Easy man of the match vote from both of us here, Chris Whittingham. Christian Pulisic is very clearly Chelsea's best and most important player, and when you look at the season on a whole, considering how crucial this final stretch is, Kovacic seemed to have player of the season in the bag. Christian Pulisic is coming for that that award because if I had my vote right now, I mean, Chelsea are flatly not in this top four chase if it wasn't for Christian Pulisic. Your thoughts on that incredible performance once again from Christian Pulisic. You noted this in, in the pre-match where he's talking with Olivier Giroud in the tunnel and it seems like they're talking through their ideas and you can see it out on the pitch. They're combining really well. I think he sets up Willian on numerous occasions. Obviously the cross that is another goal contribution. That's the thing that is so impressive is that what you measure forward players by is goal contributions. Can you get either a goal or an assist in every match? And that's what Pulisic is doing right now. And that's just a level of impact that maybe Tammy Abraham at his best was the the closest facsimile to a player contributing to goals on a regular occasion. But Chelsea have not really had that this season where you know going, all right, this is the person that's getting the assist or the goal and you're going to rely upon this player. It's kind of come in waves where you've seen players have streaks but not consistent level of performance. Since restart, Christian has just been delivering week in, week out those goal contributions. I get the feeling that the manager and the player himself are kind of sick of the Eden Hazard comparisons. But... (laughs) <laughs> Linking up with Olivier Giroud in that fashion, that's last season vibes right there. They, the two players, Hazard and Giroud, played so well off of each other. And Pulisic with these quick turns. I mean, his speed is so class right now. And that turn and quick shot, dead at the keeper in terms of how centralized the shot was, right? But it was put at an angle that that was going to hit the bottom of the crossbar and bounce in. And the pace on that rocket, Christian Pulisic is just every match that he's doing this consistently. I'm more and more impressed because, Chris, he is doing it consistently. Look, it might be a hot take because this is post-restart, but player of the season is not out of the question, especially with two matches still left to go in the Premier League and an FA Cup semifinal at Wembley. He has been invaluable to this team. You fear him coming off because he is that influential and that important to what is going on. 
look, this wasn't the sexiest match, but I will say I am a lot happier to do a podcast post-Norwich than I am post-Sheffield. <laughs> but let's not ignore what we saw in that Sheffield match. It was the worst of all the troubling things that we've seen all season long. The center backs not on the same page. All the possession and nothing to show for it. This is an argument, actually, for Kai Havertz. And I know this is a hot topic because you watch that Sheffield United match. It was a very posh thing to go on Twitter and complain about the center backs. And why are we going to poke around on Kai Havertz when there is a very clear problem defensively? Absolutely. But losing 3-0 when you have close to 80% of the possession is actually an argument for Kai Havertz, not an argument against. I understand there are glaring deficiencies out there. Players have struggled with form. Players have struggled with fitness, which I think they deserve some credit on. There have been some bad performances. Look, they concede at a level that you don't see in that top half of the Premier League. But that's not to say players like Ziyech, Werner, and Kai Havertz can obviously help with the number one issue troubling this team. We hear Frank Lampard after every loss. They don't have the killer instinct. We're not going for it. we got to put it on frame a little bit more. We have to take a few more chances. We have to get that second goal to kill the game. We can't unlock these defensive-minded teams. These are problems that are in the attacking, not in the back line. And they've been consistently Chelsea's issue throughout the season, Chris. But I disagree with the notion that it's number one, though. I, I, I do agree that it is a problem. And you saw it in the Norwich match where, I mean, simple cross, simple goal... That generally shouldn't happen. There are mistakes there that lead to Pulisic being open to deliver the cross, and obviously Pulisic's quality on the cross helps it being scored, but you, a good central defensive partnership, maybe even Sheffield United, don't allow that goal to be scored. So, yes, you need that extra quality, and Hakim Ziyech is really important in breaking teams down. Timo Werner, the same, and I agree. Kai Havertz, as that first midfielder in behind the front three, if you're still going 4-3-3, would be a huge addition into helping with that. But I still think that I'm looking at the table and right now Chelsea are on 64 goals scored, which is 27 behind Man City's total for the season, right? And you think, all right, that's a pretty huge gap you're trying to bridge. But the bigger gap is in points between Chelsea and Liverpool. And the difference there in goals scored is only 12, but in goals allowed, it's 22. Chelsea have allowed 49 goals this year compared to 27 from Liverpool. And I think being able to keep your goals conceded total under 32-33 is what wins titles. And so I do think that Chelsea's number one priority is still the defending. And you just saw a number of mistakes happen against Sheffield United that there needs to be some fixes along that back line so that you're getting that goals conceded number into a place where you can be within striking range with the attacking additions you've already made. Chelsea would dominate in many of their losses and they'd come across these defensive-minded teams, and they couldn't just unlock them, and the other team would capitalize on their one or two chances. I thought Norwich had one or two chances in this match. Credit for Rudiger for that diving slide tackle on the edge of the box. I thought that was massive, but they weren't really tested in this match, and like I mentioned, in their losses, the games like at home to Bournemouth, both matches to West Ham, even the Newcastle to a degree, and this match with Norwich in which Chelsea ended up getting the three points— Well, center backs often aren't getting tested in these instances. So it's weird that I've painted myself as a devil's advocate. Let's sign one of the most attractive midfielder options available in this transfer market in Kai Havertz. But on the heels of a 3-0 performance at Sheffield United, who credit to them. All right. They've been incredible this season. Very impressive. I love that sort of defensive-minded counterattacking football. They do it with a creative formation, at least. We'll see what happens their second season in the league, Chris, when teams actually get to adjust. But let's concentrate a little bit here on Chelsea some more. 
I know maybe there are some Chelsea fans that are being frustrated with how much we're talking about the Sheffield United match as Chelsea get a crucial three points against the easiest team left on their schedule leading up to that match, but the two matches are intertwined. You don't get the one performance without the other. One of the things that I thought was very surprising, I'm surprised every time this player doesn't appear in a match because up until this week he had appeared in every match for Chelsea was Mason Mount who I got particularly frustrated with watching that Sheffield United match because I thought I got a little too cute you have to realize you have to be self-aware this is why I'm starting to trust Kurt Zuma a little bit more with the ball at his feet Chris because I think he's a little bit more self-aware at his own deficiencies so he's like let me just get this ball out of there which is exactly what Mason Mount should have done in that instance it leads to the first goal and Sheffield United start playing as if they have a stadium full of people and that match is lost with that decision right there I don't know what happens I don't is this a tactical decision in not playing Mason Mount in this match with uh, against Norwich or is this a rotational thing well it would be curious to see what happens with the FA Cup on the weekend because I think that front three going forward especially given how important these matches are is going to be locked in but the midfield has been chopped and changed a million times you see Kovacic returning to the lineup tonight and I thought he was really good in his performance Loftus-Cheek was a little bit more anonymous in his performance and then you have Jorginho continuing to start but when the message after the game was I'm going to remember this and there are things about this performance that I didn't like Mason Mount was pulled off at halftime for a second time you wonder what the message is because Mason Mount as we've talked about many times on the pod has been Frank Lampard's golden boy and so we'll see in these final three matches that are absolutely massive Man United in the cup Liverpool in the Premier League and Wolves all in the span of a week in order to maybe reach a domestic cup final and maybe secure your place in the Champions League for next year. These are massive lineup decisions, and Lampard is going to lean on the players he trusts right now. Because of the situation with the transfer ban and the injuries and a, and a young team and fitness, I'm still struggling to identify what exactly Frank Lampard's style is. Maybe his style is versatility. I know he wants more direct play just because of the post-match comments we hear every week. I know he wants to be a little bit more aggressive. I know he likes possession, but he's not married to the idea of possession the way that Maurizio Sarri was. Not possession for possession's sake. Quality chances. And I know, the one thing that I know about Frank Lampard is he loves the high press. And Mason Mount delivers that at a world-class level because well one thing that I can tell you with absolute certainty that Mason Mount is elite at is his motor that's what he brings to the table and it's hugely important for what Frank Lampard likes to do I think that this is just a normal ride on the roller coaster of the growth and development of a youth academy product Chris this is a player in Mason Mount that probably got an opportunity with the first team and several opportunities as we mentioned played in every match this probably doesn't happen for a player like Mason Mount if it weren't for this unjust transfer ban, right? He's probably going through these grown pains at Vitesse or somewhere else, right? <laughs> I mean, he already went over there, but this is a player that was spent his last season at Derby County, and I do think that him more than any of the other players outside of whatever's going on with Tammy Abraham's confidence, and part of that is tethered to his fitness. Mason Mount has also been relatively healthy, but I think right now this is ultimately going to be good for a player like Mason Mount because this is the first bit of adversity I think he's faced. He's, As you mentioned, the reputation for Mason Mount is a little bit of, hey, that's Frank's guy. So Frank sends a message, a very clear one, when he pulls a guy like Mason Mount off at halftime twice. I'm rooting for the kid. I love his energy. What he delivers that Frank Lampard is asking for is that motor, that high press, and he does that in droves. And as you said, the timeline is so accelerated for a player like Mason Mount because in a normal situation where Chelsea didn't have a transfer ban 
And even if they did have a stated you know, desire to bring through younger players, you would still have signed three or four senior players that would have started in Mason Mount's position, and he would have been eased in. He might have been given sort of the Billy Gilmore treatment, where he starts a cup match, then if he plays really well, then he'll get a couple of starts in the league, and you're as well, Mason Mount seems to be playing a lot. But because of the situation, it seemed like Mason Mount became first name on the team sheet. And that's a huge leap for a player that, as you said, is going to have inconsistencies. The highest level he had played at before this year was in the championship. To not even have regular Premier League experience and week in, week out be asked to play at this level, it's not easy for young players. And so, as you said, you take the lumps and you try and see if there's going to be improvement there. And I, I still think that Mason Mount will have something to contribute before the end of the season, where if it's maximum five games, maybe they pull off the miracle against Bayern and they go through to a Champions League quarterfinal and they're in the tournament. Maybe it's even more than that, but there's five games potentially left if they beat Manchester United in the FA Cup. And I think he will have something to say in at least one of those games. As we continue to look at the collective of matches, you take three points from them, you remain in third no matter what happens from that point on for the remainder of this match week. The major talking point, I think, when you look at the two matches outside of Pulisic and how great he continues to play is Jorginho, a lightning rod when it comes to criticism for two years now. He's a very unique player. He has his limitations. We will be the first to admit that. But also, his game is so nuanced, and I am so honest with this audience that I am readily willing and able to admit that I don't know half of what goes into his game. It is such a mental part of his game. But there are times, like it did with Sheffield United, where his deficiencies are glaring. Look, he's not quick afoot. He's not he's not yeah. gifted with speed. Sometimes his positioning is bad and he makes fouls to try to make up for that and then you lose him for matches. That's probably not a tailor-made matchup for him against Sheffield United, although no, nah, let me walk that back because 80% possession, that's actually what you're made for, <laughs> Jorginho. He just got caught in bad spots. He's not an individual defender. He defends collectively, and we know he's there to direct the attack. What do you make of what Jorginho has found himself in over the last few weeks, falling out of favor with the manager, Chris, and then by necessity, I think some would claim, finding himself back in the starting 11 and then given that chance, putting up a performance like that that has been picked apart by Chelsea Twitter since. And I get it, right? Because it's the Premier League and all the time physicality and pace is what's associated with the Premier League. And so I think you can say sort of from a general standpoint that maybe Jorginho isn't a fit for the league. But I think to get on a guy for his physical limitations, and I think the clip that probably most you see is one that didn't actually lead to a goal, but you see David McGoldrick running from behind like a gazelle, and Jorginho looks like he's running in cement, and it's like, good lord, man, like, just physically overpowered off the ball. It's glaring, Chris, so glaring, in fact, that you don't realize the other Chelsea players that have messed up in that one particular clip as well. He's not exactly being helped by his center backs in that viral video you just mentioned. Right, and there's other you know passages in play where it's, it looks like Jorginho is at the middle of it because he puts himself at the middle of everything. And so when he's in the middle of every clip, it's like, well, every time we screw up, he's right at the center of it. But I think a lot of it is just he doesn't have the speed to be the last line of defense. And that's often what he's asked to be. When you push the fullbacks forward, when you push the two in front of him, whether it's Barkley or Loftus-Cheek or Mount or whoever, they're getting close to Tammy Abraham, and Jorginho's got a huge space to cover. He just doesn't have the speed to do it, which, you know, is the situation. So do you want to yell at a player for being slow? 
I mean, I guess you can, but you can't fix that. Like, I get it. If it, if it was a mental mistake thing, you mentioned positioning. That's certainly part of it as well. But I'm not going to get on a guy for being slow. He's just slow. No, and Frank Lampard, I think in a, if he had his first choice of fullbacks and center backs without a transfer ban, he probably wouldn't be putting Jorginho in that position. I think Frank Lampard knows Jorginho's limitations better than anybody. Certainly better than you and me talking about it. But the fullbacks have to go for it because the situation demands that Chelsea's fullbacks go forward because they need help in the attack. They need to go at other teams' tactical weaknesses. What's the best defense sometimes? Score more goals than the other team. You're not going to win the ugly get-em-in-the-mud match with Sheffield United playing the exact same way. They're better at it. So I think Frank Lampard knows that Jorginho is a player that's not optimal for that position right there, being left alone in a counterattack. I think the whole tactical approach to that game is to avoid putting Jorginho in that situation, and certain individual performances let you down in that respect, and then what happens is Jorginho becomes a viral sensation for being slow. He's not going to be able to do anything about that, as you mentioned. That's another unfair thing. He's in that Aspilicueta boat, Chris Whittingham, when he just does his job and you don't notice him. He's not even a talking point for the game. You just call him out for times that he sticks out and his lack of pace sticks out. So it's very unfair. The headline, though, Chelsea on to the next one. Sometimes it's just getting across the line. Right, Chris Whittingham? They get three points and they remain in third. Liverpool, time to return the favor, buddy. Time to return the favor in that next match. Heading up to Anfield. Hopefully N'Golo Kante is fit for that FA Cup match too because that is a huge match and we'll talk about that after our interview with Mike Golick Jr., a friend of the podcast and a new Chelsea fan, as I imagine many of you guys are listening to this podcast. By the way, speaking of listening to this podcast, as you probably heard by now, I'm joining our sworn enemies over at London is Blue. They're actually a great bit of guys. Everybody except for Nick. We all know this. But one thing that I haven't enjoyed is we're very clearly in an arms race right now, Chris Whittingham, for five-star reviews. And not just dragging your finger across and giving us five stars, leaving an actual review as we're all trying to game the system of Apple Podcasts' algorithm. So what I'm going to ask for you, the listener, before we get into Mike Golick Jr. is please do that for us. Leave us a review. Pod good. It can be that simple. Or a thumbs up emoji. I don't care what it is as long as it's positive and five stars. That's how you can reward us for doing the show for you that I guess you enjoy if you've made it this far. Mike Golick Jr., next. Watch every minute of every match. Download the Fifth Stand, the official Chelsea app. Chris Whittingham, I'm very excited to welcome in a friend of mine, Mike Golick Jr., a colleague over at ESPN. You can catch him on Golick and Wingo and calling Nathan's hot dog eating contest. He's a he's a man of many skills, and he's quite good at this. And I've been sort of you, – you've seen me work in the internet a little bit, Chris. I'm trying to get those that are on the fence, trying to figure out a team because there's no American sports going on right now just as of yet or very few – and some people are starting to turn to soccer and say, hey, this blue team, they got cool kits and they got the American. Let me jump aboard. Well, Mike Golick Jr., I saw you. I know a mark when I see one. I sent you a free jersey, and now you're a true blue. Seven <laughs> matches in. It is incredible, guys. It's great to be a part of the family now. And you're right. Mike knew where to spot the weak one right now. He knows my pension for three things, knows no bounds. And so as soon as the jersey hit, because it was it, it was purely accidental the way that I fell in love in this situation, because like Mike said, 
I'm searching around in the dark right now, the boorish American without sports. And all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll see what the Premier League's talking about on the weekend. And it just happened. The first two matches that I chose to watch happened to be Chelsea matches. And so I was tweeting about it, and Mike saw, and he's right from the minute, and absolutely ready to go. He pounced much to his credit, and I was happy. You know what I will say is the entire realm of Premier League Twitter was very welcoming, but Chelsea fans, also a very welcoming group. I'm figuring my stuff out over here, and you guys have been kind enough to welcome me in, so thank you. It's it, It's been an honor. See that, Chris? Weaving in the box like I'm Christian Pulisic. Instinctual <laughs> finish. Clinical. I saw my whale, and I moved in knowing exactly how to get him. You've moved in on more than one as well. I, I see oh. you're on the social media. You're flying right now. Look, how's this for a buy low? Marty Fish, welcome to Chelsea Twitter, Marty Fish, because he got sent to Jersey, and while he's waiting for it to get shipped, he goes out and wins the American Century Championship, setting course records out at Lake Tahoe. I mean, look at this, and we're third? Now, I know they're going to jump on me a little bit because it's the old kit, it's the old sponsor, but don't worry, we got you. Just keep doing this influencer thing, Gojo. Keep working with me, and you're going to get a kit with a number three on it real soon. I've seen the way this works now, and you're right. I'm getting in right now, and I figure, all right, I buy my time. I've clearly come to the right place for this one and the right and the right guy. So I feel pretty good about where we are moving forward in this right now. I'm happy what you said about Chelsea Twitter and soccer Twitter being welcoming because I've always sort of pushed back at this notion of soccer snobs. I think early on when I was trying to get into the sport, it was a very people were owning their their passion for the sport and it was very um, exclusive. It wasn't an inclusive community. I think you see that a little bit with MMA. Not that I want to pick a fight with MMA fans. I, I love the sport. It's, it's all good. But for the most part, my experience with soccer over the last 15 years has been come here, have a drink with us. Let's share this and grow the, the game here in the United States. I feel like that's a, a growing movement, and, and I'm happy that you feel that way because it, it's a reputation that I like to buck against. Well, yeah, and, and I think like specifically with you, because obviously even before I started watching this, I saw what you had started to do with Chelsea, obviously seeing what you guys have been doing with the podcast here, and it did help because, all right, you guys had already been such a great voice for the team over here, and I knew selfishly, all right, coming into this, becoming the fan team is a great way to just learn about you know English soccer as a whole, everything that's going on in European soccer in general, and so to have this podcast, you know, Mike was kind enough to send me some links the other day as uh, you know I was starting to slowly work my way into all this, and so it's nice to have a go-to source for information. I got Mike firing me texts already the other day as <laughs> matches are going on, so I, I'm all the way in, and I've got like a guide to shepherd me through this. So it feels like the perfect storm. Witty, I sent him our interviews with Billy Gilmore and Jorginho. My nice. Billy Gilmore got hurt. This is, there's this whole Jorginho storyline going on. So let's have Chris Whittingham test your Project Restart acumen, as I know you're true blue and you've watched every match since. So, Witty, let's put Mike Golick Jr.'s knowledge to the test. Why don't you ask him what his takes on certain matters are? Should I get like as esoteric as possible? Mike, what do you think of Olivier Giroud's holdup play as a center forward? Uh, you know what? I got an, I'm not going to. It was incredible. And to watch him do this all being as handsome as he is, I dubbed him the handsome man. When I first saw him <laughs> go in, it was truly love at first sight. And I thought, all right, wow, they're taking Christian Pulisic out, but they've replaced him with the handsome man. And he immediately came in and made the go at 
So the handsome man playing dividends for us early on. Big fan of Giroux, for sure. Look at that. I mean, he'll get the pronunciation down of a couple of our players. But look, man, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce Eden Hazard. And he's left us already, Chris Whittingham. All right. The handsome man. Let me tell you something. That is a take that everyone can get behind because he is uniquely handsome. Soccer players are built different. But this guy, even for a soccer player... I mean, he's just a cut above. I do have the look that I very much covet. Like, as a larger man, I've curated a tattooed look that would be very welcome over there. The difference is they've all got the hair. They've got this defined bone structure. So he is a he's a beautiful man with a beautiful game to go along with it. All right, so you pick one of the better teams to follow post-restart. Chelsea have had some really good performances and then two very disappointing ones, including the, the Sheffield United one, in which we all feared that there might be a Mike Golick Jr. jersey curse but we we've turned that around now (laughs) it makes it easy when there's an american playing for this club to get neutrals out there interested i get all that but what does it mean for you that largely look you're an american football guy you played at notre dame there's usually a divide between american football and soccer they're pitted against each other far too often for my liking but you start paying attention during Project Restart, and Christian Pulisic is Chelsea's best player. What does that mean to you? And as a sports expert, how do you think this grows the game here in the United States? I think, like you said at the beginning, it's a great natural hook in all of this because I remember one of the first matches I watched, and I can't remember what it was, it was when he wasn't in the starting lineup and all this, and I saw you sort of raise about that, and sure enough, he comes in and I think scores one goal and is a part of another in that. And you saw the instant impact. And I think it's a huge part of it, in all honesty, is he's such a great creator that it's a lot easier for me to follow. One of the difficulties is just learning a sport like this. You know, I've obviously watched it, but trying to learn it more, I'm never sure where to put my eyes on things. It's one of the most difficult parts coming to a new game. And so when the American, whose name I already know, is the one who's the center of a lot of this action, it's an easier place to start with all of this. And so I think that combined, like you said, with the fact that they are one of the more successful teams post-restart kind of makes it an easy target for everybody in a way that, listen, I hope grows it like now in following him and seeing this through line of, all right, here are some of the other young Americans that are over playing in this league. Here's what we have to look forward to should our program get its collective bleep together in a place that would make our friend Taylor Twelman very happy. Now here are the things that you can get excited about. So it's sort of a great instructional tool for the things that we as Americans tend to hold on to, which is when is the next time that our players come and wrap themselves in the flag and get ready to play on the Nash, on the uh, world stage. You talked about the welcoming nature of the fans on social media, but immersing yourself in this sport can be pretty difficult. It's not just another sport. It's its own language. It's its own universe. And even the jargon is so much different than American sports. How have you found that? It's early, but how have you found you know, watching the commentary, watching the studio shows, understanding what's going on with other teams? Like, Are you finding like you're catching on? Slowly but surely, like, I, and I don't know if, if this is the right read on it, but – and. I think, you know what, the whole controversy around VAR, which is something that even national, national sports talk could latch on to because it's an easy concept. It's universal throughout sports review processes that people hate. One of the things that it highlighted is that maybe was the most difficult to pick out. It is a lot more art than science, maybe. Like, there's a lot more free form to it than the sport that I'm used to. And so that's been such a difference. But figuring out that, figuring out how this translates to the Champions League and everything that comes from that, I think that might be the most daunting part of it coming from the outside is 
how do I sort of categorize where all these leagues fit relative to one another? What leads to the other? Who is a part of what? And so slowly starting to get a better handle on that, especially because of the timing right now when everything's going to happen, it's been a process, but it's one that I'm feeling more and more comfortable with. Obviously, you work a very busy slate come the football season, and what comes of college football in the United States remains to be seen. You're working on Saturdays, it's understandable, but I do think that there is a nice little breakfast and nook carved out for this sport to be supplemental to your Saturday fall-time viewing experience. I really think, look, as you mentioned, it's hard to know all the competitions, and it's even more difficult to find out where these competitions are airing. But I hope you do find the community welcoming and happy to help explain certain things and not talk to you like you're an idiot because I've been watching the sport for close to two decades and I'm still learning stuff like N'Golo Conte I'm just starting to wrap my head around what kind of a player he is and how important he is and just because he's not scoring goals or having highlight crosses that doesn't cease him from being all world at his skills so I'm still grasping all these things and it's one of those things it's like anything repetitive it's a lot more difficult to pick up than some of the other American sports though so I can definitely see someone saying I don't have the time to learn this it is but you know what the beautiful part is too is that for you know, true ambassadors for the team and the sport, we've got people like you guys that are much more adept at explaining this and bringing people in. And I'm allowed to learn at my own pace with this help and also come in and kind of lean into the idea of, all right, I'm learning all this on the fly, but I'm going to latch on to the American and the very handsome man and all the things that are kind of the easy <laughs> targets in all this. And we can all sort of play in that sandbox together while you guys still slowly hold my hand through all this. And I hope that I think that's like the very stated mission of this podcast is that we hold your hand as you as you kind of move forward. Do you have any other beyond the American and the handsome man? Are there any other players on Chelsea? Are there any Chelsea related things that have jumped out to you? Something with the coaching staff, something with other players, things on the bench, the way people look. What, what do you have in terms of things you've observed? Again, I think I, I have this thing where because in American sports, we send, spend so much time like sexualizing women in sports that I like to turn it around and turn the paradigm on men. <laughs> and so like I look at Frank Lampard and I'm like, we have sort of like the smoldering coach too. Like he's always on the sideline. Look, and first off, Chelsea, incredible sideline gear. Oh, yeah. Like we've got drip for days on this team. And so our <laughs> coach really wears that well. But I don't know. Um, I think he's number ten. Is he one? one with like an exceptional. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, exceptional. The, uh, the zoom cut the out there and... for that, but yeah, the, er, Chelsea's hairstyles have been a talking point since its podcast inception. It's really the thing we talk about most. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm not too far off on that because it was one of the first things I noticed. And again, as I'm learning everybody's names and trying to pick it out, the hairstyles help. Like we always talk about this in American football, Mike, and you guys can certainly appreciate this. Like. Having someone like Odell Beckham Jr. that's got identifiable hairstyle makes it a lot easier for me to latch on and all of a sudden say, all right, okay, recognize, got it, internalized. So where do we go from here, Mike Golick Jr.? As Chelsea continue their march to a hopeful Champions League next year, have you caught the bug? Is this something that you're going to stick with? You're contractually obligated to say yes because those were the terms of me sending you the jersey. <laughs> I understood that. It's sort of the unspoken bond that happens when someone sends you a very free thing that looks as nice as that one is. So certainly again kudos and thanks for that but no like you said I, I think one of the other things that was most appealing that you brought up was it fits nicely like we always talk about scheduling difficult lot of sports the nhl has fallen victim to this for years of putting things in spots that aren't accessible or butt up competitively with other things 
the first time I started watching this, because I was up early on a Saturday morning, I was getting my coffee and turned on the TV looking for sports. It's at a great spot. It's something that's different than my normal. I, I don't have a lot of teams that I'm truly fans of. Mike, you know this outside of Notre Dame football that you and I wore with with Miami a fair amount. I don't have like an NFL team I'm a true fan of because I went through that process and got cut so much. So it's kind of nice to have a home somewhere that's not something I work day to day that I can lean into and have like a great community like this to hang out and spend some time. I never really thought about it like that. This is like, even though the game against Norwich, that was a stressful experience because I'm invested. You sort of just sort of glide in because you haven't had these years of of tense moments. So it's a very innocent sort of, I'm actually kind of envious of the way that you're supporting this club right now. But it has been a, a bit captivating because Look, a lot of money. I don't have to tell you a lot of money is on the line. You you follow the business and you see what the rights fees go for Champions League. A lot of money is riding on Chelsea, just slotting top four. And when we all feared, the beautiful thing about this sport is that it's so unpredictable because when you lose to Sheffield United, you're feeling it. You're like, well, United's playing so well. And Leicester, they've gone up 1-0 on this crap team Bournemouth. There's no way Chelsea are going to be in the top four by the end of the weekend. And then football magically happens over the weekend. And it's just a beautiful thing. That Bournemouth game, I remember, Mike, you were texting me at that one. I was literally sitting there. I would caught it midday, and I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this. And everything seemed kind of tame. And I was like, all right, I need to jump in the shower for a second. I come out of that shower and all hell had broken loose. So <laughs> you're right. You can catch lightning in a bottle so quick in this. I, I, I think that's one of the things that I've learned is like Americans tend to like undersell this as something where there's not a ton of action. No, 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 friend. There is there is lightning for days if you stick around for it. Yeah, I think if once people grasp the drama, what the NBA does so well, better than any other sport, is it really leans into the drama. The NBA does drama from social media to the actual games itself. They do drama better than almost any sport. But that's a very American way to view things because this Norwich match, on the surface, not an exciting match. There was one goal between the teams. Norwich came out, played very defensive, but so much is on the line that I'm at the edge of my seat for what is a pretty crap matchup between two teams that are on the opposite ends of the table. But it's only when you understand those stakes that you can really grasp how dramatic and interesting. You can say to someone, well, there's a lot of money riding on the Champions League, but until you've experienced year in, year out, like how important Champions League is, you don't really feel it. But like once you start to understand those underlying narratives and the stories that make these things so important, you feel that drama and that pressure when, like you said, games can either have 30 minutes of nothing or a flurry of three minutes like that Leicester game where it was two goals and a red card in three minutes well and and I think too like there are things that are very like common and relatable to the other sports and all this one like you mentioned like I'm listening to the broadcast I'm listening to the shows after and you make and they make the point like all right we understand what's at stake and what's potentially coming up with the Champions League and so after a dud performance like that which I've been a part of and we see in other leagues all the time you've got a coach you know you've got a manager in Frank Lampard who's looking to send a message to this team who's trying to figure out all right what are we going to do with the side when it comes to the games that are going to be more challenging and where more is expected? And like, those are universal things that as I hear them related to me in ways I understand, I'm like, all right, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like we needed to bounce back one here. We needed to send a message to the crew that we got to get ready for bigger and better things. And that all of a sudden starts to internalize. 
podcast. This is one of the beautiful doors that Christian Pulisic has opened up here in this country. The podcast doesn't exist without him signing for Chelsea and him going to Chelsea and now performing at this level. It's only going to continue to grow this Chelsea brand, which is our, our end game. And we have now a new friend in Mike Golick Jr. And that is a testimonial right there. What we're trying to do with this podcast. Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much for accepting that free jersey and buying into uh, the construct of what that transaction meant for all of us here. I appreciate your first appearance here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. I cannot wait to explain the Carabao Cup to you. (laughs) Can't wait to come back for it. Can't wait for that next kit to show up in the mail. Appreciate it, guys. (laughs) You've done your part. Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much. Thanks again to Mike Golick Jr., a friend of the show. He listened to the Billy Gilmore interview on the heels of the very sad news that Billy Gilmore underwent a season-ending injury, and this is probably going to affect him at the start of the next season. Even though we don't have our official timelines, it's safe to assume Billy Gilmore is going to be out for some time. So speedy recovery to our friend Billy Gilmore, who was really one of the bright spots, one of the great stories in terms of what Frank Lampard was trying to do. Every Chelsea fan wanted to see the Youth Academy players get their opportunity, and Billy Gilmore, with a couple men in the match performances this season, one of the great kids on this team, one of the great stories we wish him a speedy recovery that's a bit of a bummer Chelsea are in third that doesn't change no matter what in this match week that is the headline but we now turn our attention to the FA Cup to Wembley Chelsea's home away from home and a match that means a lot more than just an FA Cup semi-final this is a mile marker Chris we've discussed it in previous episodes Manchester United a Thorn in Chelsea's side from that very first match, which I watched back, Chris. Mm. It wasn't a true 4-0. Just was not. <laughs> was not a true 4-0. And then VAR got in it. VAR Chester United, as we all know. It's been a bit unlucky. So, headed into this match, I don't think anyone is picking Chelsea. Manchester United, the clear favorites headed into this just based off of recent form. And they got electric attacking players, Chris. But... They kind of have the same problem Chelsea doing along that back line. And when you have a player playing at the level of Christian Pulisic, anything is possible. And I expect a really good match out at Wembley Stadium. I think you were laying down a little bit of a narrative there. Are you trying to paint Chelsea as the underdogs here? I feel like I feel like Chelsea and Man United have actually looked at their form since restart. It's been roughly the same, but you're right. I mean, just based off of the number of goals that they've scored and the headlines that they're drawing and all these this Bruno Fernandez conversations. I think Man United obviously have that sort of narrative backing at the moment. But to me, the one thing that you notice in the Southampton game is obviously that front six with Matic, Pogba, Fernandez, Rashford, Martial, Greenwood, sensational since restart. However, Southampton got into them a little bit with the pressing and that back five I mean De Gea made a couple of great saves in that match but from a possession point of view when you press Wambasaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Shaw not always exceptional Shaw also came off injured in this match we'll see if Brandon Williams can give it a go against Chelsea but when you press and force them into playing and even Matic as good as he is as a holder is not great as a distributor there is a pressing opportunity, which makes me wonder if this is a Mason Mount return game so you can have him lead that pressure because I do think that this is a, a tactic that you can employ because once it's into Fernandez and into Greenwood and into Rashford and into Martial, you've got problems. But 
the goal is to try and deny them that opportunity and make it difficult for them to build up. Yeah, I am trying to play up the underdog card. You <laughs> caught me, Chris Whittingham. But I think it's very clear because even as you said, Manchester United, I think, have been a little, um, we have been a little bit overreactionary to their form. When you look at the results, oh, wait, they, it wasn't that long ago that they dropped points to Tottenham. Right, and then they just were a rocket ship since then. But Southampton once again dropping points. I'm with you. The results haven't quite been there to match the praise that we've seen. But you can't ignore the fact that every time Chelsea have gone up against Manchester United, they've been on the losing end. Thorn in the side narrative. These are two very streaky teams. Every time you think you got them figured out, they'll have a new problem pop up or a new injury. I would love, as you mentioned, Mason Mount. There have been rumors out there that N'Golo Kante might be available for this match, and he is hugely important for Chelsea, as you know. If you look at the numbers, I know that Matic isn't uh, a distributor. That is not his trait. When he gets to Wembley semifinals, though, he can score some absolute worldies, <laughs> as we all know. He's a hugely important player for that team, and he helps a lot of their defensive deficiencies, Chris, the way that N'Golo Kante can. So I'm very much looking forward to this because this is a hill that I'm hoping Frank Lampard can conquer because... This is already kind of a thing, Manchester United kind of owning Chelsea over the last few years. If they do it under the bright lights of Wembley, even though this is a day game, um, <laughs> if they do this at Wembley, it's going to be a narrative for for some time to come until Chelsea do something to correct it consistently. I really hope they can turn this around because I don't want to go into every Manchester United matchup hearing it from the Manchester United fans. It's already been rough enough for me in these Twitter streets. And you earlier mentioned the Pulisic-Hazard comparison, and I'm going to do it one more time because one of the things that you put forward and that Lampard has put forward is, well, in order for Pulisic to reach that level with the Chelsea supporters or just generally is, you have to make these contributions towards winning trophies, winning silverware at the club. So can Christian Pulisic put together a performance in an FA Cup semifinal, maybe even in the final, that get you towards winning that silverware? Because that's how ultimately Chelsea like to measure themselves. However, I do want to throw something at you. This is an FA Cup semifinal, but... Chelsea have basically played every three days since restart. Weekend, midweek. Weekend, midweek. You have two huge games against Liverpool and against Wolves still to play. Is winning the FA Cup or being in the top four more important for you, Mike Ryan, as a Chelsea fan? Can I say both? Because it will be <laughs> a spectacular season if Frank Lampard gets either. Really top four, I think, is the, the measurement considering everything that's on the line for such a young team in Chelsea. This is bigger. This is about the economics of world club football, right? But a trophy in his first season is not a terrible consolation prize if he falls outside of that top four. But I'm going for both. I love that FA Cup. So, like, for example, if I said to you, you can start Callum Hudson-Odoi for Pulisic and bring on Pulisic on 70 minutes so he can maybe change the game with 20 minutes to play. Is that something that sounds appealing to you or do you want Frank Lampard to pick his best team for this Man United match? I want his best team. I want his best team because, as I mentioned, this is a mile marker. This is a team that represents so much more than just being the Red Devils. They need to clear this obstacle. I really think that there is more to this than just the prestigious FA Cup trophy. So I hope that they can do this. I know this isn't the Wembley experience that all those young players dreamt about and watched on their televisions, but it's still Wembley. It is great cup experience for this team that we anticipate playing in many other cup finals going forward. And it's cool. Look, Manchester United and Chelsea, these have been the teams of the Premier League in the new millennium. They've been trading trophies 
They've played in a Champions League uh, final that we will never talk about on this podcast <laughs> as long as I live. And look, Jose Mourinho, there's all sorts of storylines when these two teams get together. I always want to beat United. The aforementioned Jose Mourinho had some comments, and mm. he drew me back in, Chris. No, I'm back no. to loving Mo. No. I'm, back, I'm back to loving Mike. Mo. Surly Mo speaks to the media, weighs in on the terrible decision. We thought we loved the court of arbitration of sport. <laughs> we have turned on them, even though they exonerated Chelsea from their earlier transfer ban, as we mentioned. They botched this one. Neutral observer Chris Winningham, Manchester City, get off on the technicality that this falls out of the five-year window, amongst other reasons, which I'm sure your neutral self will get into in a little bit. But if this statute of limitations clause always existed, why would UEFA even try them? I don't know. And that's kind of the question that a lot of people are, are waiting for the full report. And yes, there will be a full report put out, and I will read it. And it'll be a lot of legalese. But I think one of the things that happened here, and we can play Jose's comments, is the way that it got reported and the way that in general, like what happened with Chelsea, I think a lot of people just believed, assumed that the allegations against them were true because of the manner in which they're reported. The governing bodies do an investigation. They leak some of the details to the media and they make you think, man, Chelsea, guilty of sin, Man City, guilty of sin. But then they get put in front of a neutral court and the rulings get overruled. And so I think the way that City's information, first off, it starts with the football leaks emails that get put out. Then there's details in the New York Times that they're floating a two-year ban. And so immediately, all the other clubs in the Premier League start thinking, all right, well, they're guilty because UEFA wouldn't be putting this out if they weren't guilty. And so that kind of laid the groundwork. And I think a lot of managers are reacting to, well, I just assumed they were going to be guilty and we were going to have to deal with them in the Champions League. It might have really hurt their standing in club football. So... Mourinho's comments, we can play them. They make no sense to me. It's a disgraceful decision because if Man City is not guilty of it, I think to be punished with some, some million is a disgrace as a decision. If you are not guilty, you are not punished. By the other way, if they are guilty, you should be banned. So it's also a disgraceful decision. So in any case, the decision is... Um, is a disaster. Can, can you elaborate on that? that? That's quite a strong comment you've given there, saying it's a, it's a disgraceful decision. Why do you think yeah. it, it's happened? Because if you are not guilty, you don't pay. I'm not saying Man City is guilty. I'm saying if you are not guilty, you don't pay. You are not punished, even with a pound. Uh, I know that money for them is, is quite easy, but it's just a principle. They make all the sense in the world, Chris Whittingham, because, <laughs> look, it's Manchester City! Of course they're not playing by the rules. It's Manchester City. Uh, with a libel laws, I have to be a little bit more careful. It appears like they're not playing by the rules because look at all, much, all the money that they're spending. Just You don't have to dig that deep. You could read the shirt sponsor, Chris. Something doesn't seem like it's on the up and up over here at Manchester City. They're signing all the best players, Chris. They're signing all the best players. Agreed. And, like, look, I'm, I'm not going to try and argue on behalf of yeah, this being pure, right? I mean, it's not. The whole thing isn't pure. But... Jose's point was, well, if they got a fine, why didn't they get a ban? And you just have to read the one page which says they got a fine for obstructing the investigation. Are you going to ban someone from the Champions League for failing to cooperate with the investigation? No, like there are separate things. And the, the crimes themselves were found to have not been committed by the court for arbitration of sport, but they did obstruct the investigation, so they got a fine. Like, I don't understand why Jose is like making this argument that it's a disgrace because you an, can't an separate argument, those two details. Argument, Chris, just a slight argument for the point that Jose Mourinho was trying to make is 
you can't say that they were innocent of everything with certainty, considering they obstructed the investigation. They might have been cleared because of that obstruction. It's not a small thing. And to Jose's larger point about financial fair play being a joke, that is absolutely dead on. There is no respect for it anymore. Might as well toss it out the window. And I'm a Chelsea fan. Look, Chelsea benefited from spilling money over the bar and having Roman Abramovich ruin football, air quotes, and sign all the best players. But then they had to get smarter. They had to change their business model. And I thought that Chelsea were actually brilliant in terms of exploiting the market weaknesses with their loan system, with their youth academy. They were brilliant at working this system. So I thought my club was as well positioned as any club in terms of like the big power clubs in this financial fair play deal. And to see Manchester City get away with it is very disheartening because why are we doing this in the first place? And if that's the case, if we're getting rid of FFP, then Manchester City are obviously going to have the advantage over Chelsea. Chelsea, granted, they were one of the wealthier clubs when Roman first took over. But since then, everyone got that formula, and they got it with more money. Chelsea can't outbid many of these teams, so I like having financial fair play as a governor. Well, you don't think that if they got rid of the financial fair play rules that Chelsea wouldn't be free spending again? I think they would. because And, and I think what you've seen is a lot of clubs, even if it's working the system, which is what Man City appeared to have done, although, again, we don't know what the final ruling will say in regards to their attempts to work the system. But I think a lot of teams, as you said, have, have been forced to get smarter. And Chelsea, for example, have been the best-selling club in England. They're, I mean, maybe Leicester City, but Chelsea have gotten incredible prices for players that I don't think, you, you'd, in retrospect, you would have paid a bunch of money for. So it has wisened up. I think, in general, the goal of financial fair play was to stop clubs from going bankrupt and operating more financially soundly, and I think they have. So I don't think the financial fair play rules are going away. I'll be curious to see how teams will test them. But... At the same time, I do think overall it's been good for the game. I agree. I think it has been good for the game. And part of this is, well, I feel like Chelsea are just a lot smarter than all the other clubs from a business perspective. So they found a way to get an advantage because they lost their financial advantage. All these new ownership groups come in and they have deeper pockets. Like, I understand Chelsea. Look, I'm not going to be the Chelsea. I would say as deep of pockets. Maybe not deeper pockets because... Robert Bramovich, pretty wealthy. I'm not going to cry poor as a Chelsea fan. I already hate how that's coming off. But look, this is a Homer podcast. Allow me to be the Homer. <laughs> they're not spending with PSG, all right? They're, they're not in on Neymar. Sadly, I don't think they're in on the Mbappes of the world. So they have to be a little bit smarter with their scouting. If Real Madrid, Barcelona, PSG, and Man City want a player and Chelsea's in that group, I don't think Chelsea's coming out with that player. Now, it doesn't mean you can't win it. Liverpool... They're worse off than Chelsea when it comes to their pockets. They have to be extra smart with their business and their development of their players. So there are ways around this. You can be a great dynasty, especially when you have the youth academy that Chelsea have. It's just making it a little bit more difficult for Chelsea now when you throw away financial fair play, which I'm only left to assume and speculate on considering this ridiculous ruling. So I'm on Team Mourinho on this one, and I know you're neutral. And I'm very looking forward to you digging through this full report, but I'm interested in seeing how they obstructed, for one. We kind of have an idea from some leaked reports out there as to how they went about doing this, but I'm very curious to see what happens to clubs like Manchester City going forward. Are they emboldened by this? Because UEFA and La Liga have come out by different representatives and said, maybe Cass isn't the place that should be listening to these. And I think that's a very interesting conversation, perhaps for another day, but... Who's in charge anymore? I'm left looking around like, well, is it just going to be the wild, wild west again? And 
Some clubs think, yeah. Well, it, it's a bit weird for me to hear the leagues complain about CAS because they're actually the ones that pay the money for CAS. Like, the, the, the court for arbitration of sport is a direct result of governance, right? Of, like, UEFA pays money for that whole entity to exist. The one thing, though, that I do think, at the very least, if you're looking at the near term of the Premier League, yes, Man City spend a ton of money. There's no denying it. But they haven't really gone for ready-made superstar like Mbappe, like Neymar. I think the most that they've spent on a player is like Mares at 75, which is a lot, but it's not like they're, they're not going to get Ronaldo or Messi or whomever. No, but but they did that with Aguero and Balotelli when they first but, came in. They, but they like, made but, but their like impression. Aguero, Aguero was a good player at, at, at Atletico Madrid. Like he wasn't, you know, a 30 goal scorer for Real Madrid and, and, and you plucked him off him. Like Aguero was something of a fine. Like you, you assume that he was gonna be a good player, but I don't know if you would expect him to be, be like best striker in the Premier League good. Like they've generally went out and found player like even Kevin De Bruyne was a distressed asset in some respect. He had already failed in the Premier League, and then that's a low know. blow. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you're the neutral observer. You are not to bring in KDB into the proceedings. This has nothing to do with him. This has everything to do with Manchester City obviously cheating and Chelsea coming out worse for it. We'll leave that debate there. I always enjoy having that banter with the neutral observer and co-host of Chelsea, mic'd up, Chris Whittingham. By the way, if you're an Inter-Miami fan, I, I know I have a following in Miami. You can catch Chris Whittingham calling the games for Inter-Miami on the Inter-Miami app and on their website, on the radio call. There was Chelsea Inter-Miami news this weekend. Uh, oh. the, 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 the Telegraph reported that Willian was linked with, uh, with Inter-Miami. Uh, Inter-Miami reportedly offered him a three-year deal, and he turned it down. I guess he wants to stay in Europe and perhaps even with Chelsea. We were so close to reporting this story. We yeah. were so careful because uh, my sources were shady nightclub people from Miami. <laughs> so that's... Uh, I have a couple of journalistic hurdles I have to clear. <laughs> I talked to our friends over at the club, and it seemed as though I was breaking news to them, or they were just very good at being quiet about it, which is probably, you know, now that I mention it, they probably did the right thing and yeah. no commenting me in that respect. But we were so close to breaking this. It would have been a Chelsea mic'd up exclusive, and we kind of had the facts right. Just, yeah. you know, William felt he had a little bit more value than Inter-Miami probably did. Uh, William, by all reports, thinks that he should be paid better than anyone in MLS. And when you have the kind of performances that he has alongside of Christian Pulisic, who am I to tell him that? Inter-Miami is one of the people that told him that, but maybe we'll see him in a couple of years back in MLS. That's the reported detail. William still very much engaged in contract talks with Chelsea. William obviously playing really well off of this research. Chelsea don't find themselves in that third position without William. So been a good player for the club. I'd like to see William back. Obviously some youth being brought into the club, but maybe he can be an impact sub. We'll see how Frank Lampard decides to use him. That'll do it for us. We will be with you for a reaction pod to the very important FA Cup semifinal. Boy, I have no idea which Mike Ryan you're going to get. <laughs> my Chelsea mic'd up prediction you don't want to hear right now going into this <laughs> FA Cup semifinal. But I guarantee you I will work up the confidence to give you a hashtag Chelsea chatter that has Chelsea coming out on the winning end as they head into Wembley playing Manchester United. Claude McAlealy will be joining us next week as well. We were very excited about that. I know we've teased it for a couple of weeks. Scheduling, pandemic, give us a break. Or the official Chelsea podcast we're going to deliver on Claude McAlealy, like we told you, is happening very soon. We are recording with him soon. We are excited about that. Till we speak again, up the Chelsea.